Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of whether and how politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Raj Patta. I am a, a minister at the United Stockport Circuit of the Methodist Church. And each week I am delighted to have different guests. And uh, on this week, I, it's such a pleasure to have with me Susan Brown, who is the convener of the Church of Scotland's Faith Impact Forum and a chaplain to the Queen in Scotland, uh, currently in the Presbytery of Duns and the, the former moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. So I'm really delighted to have with me Susan this morning. Uh, hi, Susan, a very warm welcome to this hi there, Raj. That That uh, introduction was longer than I am. I'm only five feet. <laughs> <laughs> but you're modest, but we are, we are, it's such a delight having you with us uh, this week. And I'm sure our listeners will uh, be looking forward to listening to this conversation. Uh, Susan, would you want to introduce about yourself, where you are, a, a bit more about sure. yourself? Yeah. Sure. People might be confused by the title Faith Impact Forum, but really it's the outward facing work of the Church of Scotland. So we're looking at, at uh, partnerships and relationships. Um, and it can be anything from mission partners in, in foreign parts of the world through to and, and partner organisations um, through to engaging with the UK government, with the Scottish government um, and with all sorts of local authorities as well, looking at ethical issues, um, right. scientific issues, the works, the whole lot. Mm, brilliant, brilliant. So I'm sure pretty much you would want to call yourself to be a, a what do you call a political preacher or a political political theological practitioner well yeah i always like to use a small p though because people get upset when you say politics um and so i, I like to to call on the small p i'm also a parish minister so you know this is my my bread and butter is preaching week by week and and challenging me and you know the congregation and community mm. um through god's word so great opportunity yeah brilliant brilliant uh, susan uh, I mean, from your context, where you are at the moment, do you want us to know some key justice and political issues that our listeners, uh, you want to share with the listeners? Yeah, I, I, I suppose um, right at this moment, um, we have strong partnerships between the Church of Scotland and the Reformed Church in Transcarpathia. And so the Ukraine situation is a, is a pretty big deal for us right, right. at the moment. And we're in, in contact with with our partners over in Ukraine, Ukraine and principally through the Reformed Church in Hungary. Um, so you know, that's a big deal. And, and what's fresh in my mind is that image uh, yesterday of Christians in Ukraine kneeling in the snow together yeah. to pray yeah. for their country. Um, so very moving. And when you know people and you know names and you know faces and you know stories, and I've actually visited on the, on the western edge of, of Ukraine, right. it brings it all home to you, doesn't it? I mean, as soon as you can put a name and a story to something, it mm. takes it from being the news out there to being something that actually hits you. Yeah. So Ukraine, and and then at the moment, we're preparing our, our reports for the General Assembly, which happens in May. And so we're looking at things like the Human Rights Bill, right, or the Human Rights Acts Bill. Um, we're looking at issues such as gender identity, forced conversion in Pakistan, um, and conversion therapy here. So a whole kind of range of very different things that we're mm. hoping to bring to mm. the assembly, as well as legacy of past wrongdoings 
um, and you know we've been approached to think about how mm. we've treated witches in the past mm. but also to think about the legacy of slavery which is going to be a massive job for us so we're beginning the process so that we 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 treat it appropriately and respectfully so big agenda no it is but but profoundly important and relevant themes for our for our times today and uh, thank you for your involvement there uh, each week i was i asked my joint public issues team colleagues for a little roundup uh, of their expertise and what they think might they want us to keep an eye on the world and some of their suggestions this week as you've already mentioned about the tensions between russia and ukraine and all the diplomatic efforts to avoid uh, a demilitarized conflict uh, and in parliament key debates and votes are coming up on the nationality and borders bill and where which would create a two tier asylum system and the police crime sentencing and courts bill uh, which restrict protest and criminalize trespass both uh, on monday the 28th of february and again the impact of storms dudley unis and franklin within the within the uk and there have been floods in brazil with at least 171 people dead and 120 still missing so it is important to remember the extreme weather uh, effects around the world while it's happening here as well uh this week we also have the faith trade fortnight running up from the 21st of february to the 6th of march many churches will mark this in some way and uh, we are invited to choose the world you want through our purchasing choices as consumers and there are revelations about a racist culture among the home office contractors employed to escort migrants to detention centers uh and we also have heard the further relaxation of covid rules i mean end of require requirements to self isolate and availability of free tests are both coming up and many are concerned that it might be too much too soon that the pandemic is not over and we must consider those who are more vulnerable for whom this might be quite frightening yeah. uh, and also the royal family have been in the news even more than usual lately with the queen getting covid prince charles charity being investigated prince andrew's out of court settlement with virginia uh over allegations of sexual assault and the news that camilla will be queen concert when prince charles becomes king so we have that news around uh, happening and we also have the ongoing controversy in the met police with racism misogyny the investigation into number 10 the wait for a new commissioner and a public spat with the mayor of london so it's quite intense and quite dense with the kind of uh, in the kind of situation that we live today and as you know this is the sunday before lent and uh, we have this as a transfiguration sunday we'll come more about into it but this sunday is also observed as the church action on poverty sunday again inviting churches to reflect on the kinds of the, the growing poverty within the country within the uk uh, so it is important for us as followers of jesus christ to reflect the relevance of faith in such a context so with all of this i mean we have this metaphorical uh, usage where we say we open the newspapers on one hand and now we are opening our bibles okay. on the other so i wonder if there was any particular passage or a theme that you would start engaging this week uh, that will be helpful for us susan well i you know i took your your um suggestion seriously and had a good look at all of the the prescripted um mm. lessons for sunday and you know transfiguration 
Well, you know, it's difficult to understand, but it's even harder to try to explain to people, isn't it? Yeah. But it is the Sunday before Lent, as you've said, and it's when we get, are given a glimpse of glory, a, a bit of encouragement um, for the journey ahead. But at the same time, the Transfiguration story doesn't shy away from the painful bits. Um, the Transfiguration story is very much um, tied in with, with glory on the one hand and with fear on the other. And each of the lessons in their own way talks about this, this dichotomy, this intention of glory and, and fear. Mm. And I suppose as we're facing a world that is in what can only be described as chaos in so many ways when it comes, you know, ecologically, politically, every way, economically. Mm. Um, we need to find some way of holding a thread of hope that um, is more than just uh, pie in the sky stuff, but is actually, you know, practically worked out um, as a response to the faith that we say we hold. And that that is visible. And I think that's the other thread that weaves its way through all the readings this week, visibility. Mm. Moses' face veiled and then unveiled Jesus, um, God in the clouds up the, the mountain and then, you know, revealed mm. again in, in shininess. Um, mm. You know, that theme runs through. So it's about holding intention. Um, as I say, God's awesomeness in the true sense of that word, awe that makes our, our jaws drop and our stomachs lurch. Mm. So, um, but how do we reflect that in the society in which we live, in the times in which we live? Hmm. Uh, I mean, thank you for bringing in glory, fear, wonder, mystery into all of this, because uh, most times transfiguration is associated with the divinity of the divine, I mean, or God. But as human beings, how do we understand? And this has been one of the questions that people keep asking. How do we understand transfiguration from below? Well, it's, um, yeah, I think that's the thing, is that the transfiguration happens up there. But the next move is to come down. Mm. Um, Moses came down with the tablets of stone. It's quite fun when you when you look at that, the Exodus passage, Exodus 34. Mm. Um, when you look at that passage, if if you where the reading starts for this coming Sunday, if you were to go back just a little bit to what is it, Exodus 20, I think it is. If you go back just a wee bit, you could match up that story when Jesus when Moses came down the mountain first with the ten tablets of stone, and it's virtually where that picks up. Mm. Except there is in there the annoying story of the the incident of the golden calf, mm. you know, in which and it's annoying because it's a, a reminder that this world is full of. Um, troubled times and troubled reactions to what's going on. Um, so the people, the people didn't get why Moses was taking so long. Mm. So instead of being patient and waiting for him to come down, now these are people of faith. Remember, I'm not talking about people beyond yeah. the, the faith community. But, so they're instead of waiting for Moses, mm. they try and create a god of their own, mm. one that fits what they're needing at this mm. moment. And up there, God tells Moses, I'm going to strike this lot out because, you know, they just don't get it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to start again with you. And it's Moses who says to God, look, you know, don't do that. Give mm. them another chance. Mm. Um, and then he comes down the mountain and he goes absolutely ape mm. because he sees just exactly what the people have been doing. Mm. And he, he does what is scary. I mean, his face may be shining, but his actions, what does he wipe out, what, 3,000 family members and neighbors 
Um, so he virtually does what God said he was going to do and Moses told him not to do. He, he tries to take people out and to start again. There is that tension between what's scary and what's absolutely beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I mean, thank you for reminding. I think starting with the Exodus story and it, in this act of when Moses was en encountering God and what happens down there. And I think there is in that between the lines, between the gap, the humanity or the people of faith made different gods. And maybe now Moses' experience of Mount Sinai and when he's coming down. I mean, one thing that struck me in Exodus chapter 34 is uh, the way his face has changed with this encounter with God. So how do we understand this bringing a smile? I mean, I, I thought it was bringing, I mean, again, it not to go into those racial overtones, but it is more about bringing charm and smile and happiness in that encounter with God. So what is your take in terms of when Moses encountered God? What I think for, for Moses, it probably made him smile. For the people, yeah. it was scary because it was a reminder of the reality of God in the midst of what they knew too well, only too well, was their, their foul-ups. Mm -hmm. um, so whenever, it's interesting, Moses' face was veiled when he was going about his regular duty, but he took his face off, his veil off, his face off, his yeah. veil off when he spoke to God. And then when he relayed God's message to God's people, mm. um, he took his veil off. So I find that really interesting that the people were prepared to be unsettled by Moses' true view um, at the moment he was talking about God, but didn't like it interfering in their daily lives. And that makes you wonder, you know, the age-old segregation of holiness as opposed to, to you know, what we do every day. Yeah, the money. That has never been a, a, a kind of Celtic trait. The Celtic trait was that God knitted into everything you did mm. so you know you'd have a prayer in the morning for lighting the fire you'd have a prayer at night for quietening the fire down you'd have a prayer for baking your bread you'd have a prayer for um going out to the sheep you'd have a prayer for whatever this this is is like a segregation again but god is allowed in at certain times mm. and that has to challenge us as faithful people about what you know how we how we view our faith and how we integrate it into everything that we do. Mm. Mm. You know, do we do that or do we keep God as a separate entity and he can tell us what to do when we're in God mode, mm. but don't let God tell us what to do when we're not attuned no. um, or we don't want him to see, or we don't want to be challenged on that issue. Mm. Um, or we don't want to speak to that person, you know, mm. whatever. Yeah. Uh, Just I an think... interesting thought. No, no, that's that's profound, Susan, because the way people try to distinguish God only in holy sanctuaries or in certain places, but you are trying to say, inviting us, it's time that we recognize divinity in our mundane, in our daily activities, in our everyday things that we see. And our daily people. And I and I'm, that would tie in with the, the you know the the Luke passage hmm. where Jesus is up the top, you see all three um appearing so moses elijah and jesus they shine with god the arrival of god's spirit mm. and you want peter's reaction is to say let's stay up here let's yeah. build three sheds three um yeah sheds tabernacles yeah, yeah. let's build them and 
let's you know keep ourselves up here. And there is a certain, I suppose, a certain mindset in the church that wants to do the churchy things, mm. but is not so keen to get down there and get the hands dirty. Right. Um, and I'm thinking just now, I mean, the Church of Scotland right now is going through an enormous transformation that is just turning the whole church structures, mm -hmm. well, turning the whole church upside down. And yet we're getting so caught up in how to do the structures that I wonder if sometimes we're not letting go of the issues, sight of the issues that we should be dealing with as God's people. So we're getting caught up in the holy stuff, mm. technical word, um, but we're getting caught up in, in, in the religiosity rather than in the actual practical expression of mm. what it means to be Christian in mm. 21st century Scotland, UK, the world. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, you're right. It's, it's a good transition that you brought us to the gospel reading in Luke, uh, where uh, I mean, I, I also, as I read this passage, was thinking like Peter. I mean, most of us want to have this high experience and want to stay on there. But I think Jesus is inviting them. I mean, let's get down. Let's carry on uh, our day-to-day -day activities. I, and I think the extra optional verses are actually quite important because mm. when Jesus comes down, what does he do? He heals. Yeah. Um, so he comes down from the wonders of the heights um, the absolute glory, glimpse of God, everything else comes back down. And there's this poor parent struggling with a mm. child in the shadows who is, you know, convulsing. Mm. Um, and the disciples, when they come down, and, you know, yeah, nine of them haven't been up that mountain, but the disciples are just going, gee whiz, <laughs> what, do, what do we do here? Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and Jesus steps in and does the healing. And, I read an interesting commentary from, from a, a Latin American theologian that sort of challenges us to think about getting out of our worship spaces because down below, outside, all around us are people who are, in, who are convulsing, rolling around on the floor because they are homeless, they're poor, they're immigrants, and we're standing back going, gee, what do we do about that? Yeah, let's pray for them. And mm. prayer is important because if you look at the Lucan gospel again, everything about Jesus is enveloped in prayer. But the prayer um, is inspired by God's spirit who then moves Jesus out mm. to do what God wants him to do. And mm. that is to heal, to make whole, to to affirm, to build up, to encourage, to, you know, whatever. You know, there is a danger that we we kind of hide in our not quite ivory towers, but we hide behind our mm. church structures, our church ways of being. Yeah. Um, while others are suffering. Mm. Now, I, I think that is important for us that we come down to from our mountaintop experiences and pitch our tents with the people that are rolling down. And as you said. But I mean, the question that I was thinking, uh, Susan, was why do you think was transfiguration needed in this for Jesus and for the disciples then? I mean, because Jesus was going well with his healing and things that he has been doing. Why do you think this sudden graph of an upscale and then again downwards? So what, do, what are your reflections on that? 
I, I wonder if this is where the past and the present meet in order to create a new future. So you've got Moses and Elijah, biggies of, of days gone by, meeting with Jesus and, you know, the three of them being illumined as a reminder that no matter what, in, in, in whatever lies ahead for people, God will continue to rescue us. Mm. So it's a reminder that, yeah, okay, things might be right now absolutely wonderful, couldn't get better, mountaintop experience, you know, nothing better. But harsh reality is that in order for you to get a fuller glimpse of the glory of God, there is some pain going to appear on the way. Mm. And then, you know, for Jesus, um, the word departure is used in, in verse 31 of, of Luke 9. It actually means exodus, and it's the only time that that word is used in the Gospels, I'm told. Right. Um, but it's it's a reminder to us of the cost that's involved mm. um, in in being transformed and transfigured. Mm. And, it's, and it's a hint to Peter and to James and John who are with Jesus that, actually, this journey is not going to be easy. Remember Moses' story? Remember Elijah's story? Remember how the children of Israel were there, were not there, were, you know, taken on by God, shouted at by God, led by God, mm. um, bawled at again, and yet continually mm. God stood by them. Um, so I think there's a wee hint in there, in this transfiguration to Peter, James, and John, that times ahead are not going to be easy. And to Jesus is an affirmation that the cost of what he's about to do is is an ultimate sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, profound. Thanks, Susan. I think it's very interesting to hear. And thank you for uh, spotlighting 931, Luke 931, the word leaving or departing as exodus. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if we use that lens again now to see what transfiguration is, it's about that exodus, not just staying on that mountaintop or building a tabernacle over there. But it is exodus into the realities of the world and into the struggles of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's great, though, that the disciples don't get it. I mean, they come down and they don't say a thing. I mean, the, uh, and the very soon the disciples are going to be starting to argue about who amongst them is the greatest. Yeah. Um, and, they, and as I say, they do that while the homeless, the immigrant, the woman working three jobs in order to keep our kids going, mm. they are thrown into the shadows and left to convulse. So that's a challenge in this, this mm. passage is how do we, on in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, effect the healing um, mm. that's needed in our society and in our world at large? Mm. Now, I think, thanks, uh, Susan, that's really important. I mean, these optional readings to be read along with the transfiguration story mm. because the transfiguration story meets at a healing of a person and who are convulsing and into the realities. I mean, most times we dichotomize and only eulogize the the divinity and the glory up on the mountain, not trying to link it, exodusing into the realities and into the healing uh, story. So maybe for our listeners this week, it is important, I mean, that not just to make the verses after exodus, after uh, transfiguration to be just an optional, but if you link it, then we are able to say that there is a landing note for transfiguration, which is in healing. And as followers of Jesus, that is a call for us. 
Yeah, and also points to the hope. So, you know, it's looking back in order to look to the present and then to look on forward to the future. That's mm. really important to tie the threads right through all mm. of them. No, I think that's that's very challenging. And thanks, uh, Susan, for that thought. I mean, that that nearly neatly takes us to the Second Corinthians reading of where Paul was writing to the church. And again, he 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 does a reflection on Moses' story, perhaps. And then in that, he, he brings in a new meaning if you are in Christ, with Christ. You don't need any of these uh, veils. I mean, I will ask in a moment about veil, but what is your what are your initial reflections on Paul's reflection on Moses? Yeah, right, right at this very moment, I'm part of a team that's having conversations with, um, with those of the Jewish tradition um, and trying to create a Christian Jewish glossary where, you know, we look at the words that we each use, but it transpires, lo and behold, we didn't realize we use them in completely different contexts. Mm. Um, and the, co the conversations are absolutely fascinating. And so I think what we have to do and to be careful of here is to remember that this is not an anti-Jewish diatribe that Paul is launching into. At this stage, um, the, the messianic followers were still part of the Jewish tradition. They were still... Um, a sect of Judaism. So it's not a, a get at um, the Jews per se. What it is, is actually a get at their fellow messianic believers, their rival apostles who are saying different things about Jesus and about the spirit uh, and about the gospel. So I need to get that off my chest, having had all these glossary conversations. This is not about the Jews. This is about Jesus' followers. Mm. I mean, um, yeah. No, I think yeah, that's no. No, that's an important uh, thingy that our listeners need to read, that it isn't anything about anti-Jewish, but it is, as you say, about other followers, which I think is important in the politics and in the multi-faith context where we live today. Absolutely. We don't want to get caught out any other way, I tell you. Yeah. I suppose the, the, the central verses are 16 and 17. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Mm. And I tie that in with a word that's used at the beginning, boldness, because, because that word um, is about a kind of free and open truth speaking amongst equals, a kind of unveiling of its in its own right. But it's about sitting down together and honestly speaking mm. about what we're what we're thinking, feeling and believing, um, recognizing that sometimes we manipulate what scripture says to fit what we believe. Mm. That's part of the honestness and the openness. And again, in relation to the conversations with, with our Jewish friends, they are remarkably good at being open to different ways of thinking in a way that as Christians, we're not. We tend to want to set the rules and the guidelines um, and unless you fit in there, you're not of the of the true um, faith. But for the our friends in the Jewish tradition, they have to listen to each other, to differences of opinion, and they have a, a recognition that means that these things can run in parallel. Two different views of one part of scripture can run in parallel together um, and not deny each other but respectfully coexist. And I think as Christians, we could do a learning that trick. Mm, yeah. I think if we can all coexist with humility yeah. and in love, I mean, the, 
we are we are translating the kingdom of god into a reality in our times and for our times today but i think as i was reading i thank you for mentioning the word boldness freedom what okay. paul was mentioning and they they coexist if you are bold you celebrate freedom and if you are free there is humility to receive the other as they are yeah absolutely and they are all i mean and that's all part of the new covenant isn't it i mean they're all tied in together um yeah yeah absolutely yeah. that's i mean which is good but as as i was saying i mean veil in our multi faith context global context i mean people of christians i mean it is easy to criticize people who continue to wear a veil i mean for various in various religious traditions so what would be your reflection or a call for christians in 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 being bold but in celebrating freedom but in also taking on humility what should be our response to our other faith traditions where veil continues to be an important thing in their own faith tradition yeah and you know this is where the difference of opinions but going alongside and respecting each other for that difference of opinion that's where this comes into place isn't it i mm. mean um as i say even although i should know a lot about the jewish faith it's only as i've talked to people mm. um, and we've sat down together and deliberately been free and open with each other about our different faiths with common uh, roots that we've learned about each other and that would be the same across religions and faiths we you know until we sit down and talk and we have free and open conversations where we can be honest amongst equals respecting each other then then neither of us are living the kind of or none of us are, is living the kind of faith life that we ought to be living mm-hmm. yeah. yeah which is important i think that cooperation that's dialogue and that mutual respect i mean the reason i am asking this question on veil is currently in india there's a huge conversation i mean uh, with with the right wing politics going on on the hijab and the veil but i i think what you are suggesting is it is important we have this mutual respect it is important that we listen to one another and it is important that we celebrate freedom in our own traditions as we understand mm-hmm. absolutely um you know there are still conversations and tensions there Mm-hmm. but the the conversation is ongoing and not just people going into their own corners and coming out fighting no no i mean if if all of us have this this perspective of listening to one another this mutual respect and i think that will be a way forward in our journey of faith but but finally i just want to ask in this second corinthians paul was speaking about the spirit of god i mean in moses's time again he had to go up on the mountain jesus had to be transfigured on a mountain now now paul is shifting the gear by saying god is spirit so how, what is your take on god the spirit well yeah i mean what paul is saying is that you know like through the messiah's sufferings all of us can are now able to see and to reflect the glory of god um in our in our own faces um and in one another's faces as well as the spirit writes the law on our hearts hmm. but for us it's it's a very slow transformation or for some of us it is it might be quicker for you raj but for me it's a very slow transformation um the spirit at work but the hope is or the hope lies in the fact that god is actually still at work in us and won't give up on, on us um hmm. and and that that need for honesty from us 
that says, no, we don't hold all the answers, actually. No. You know, um, no, I'm not always right. No. Um, you know, and yeah, it we need we need that that honesty. Mm. But the spirit sets us free to find the courage to be honest. Mm. And I think profound. That's a, that's a great take home message for all of us. If each of us are able to be honest, and if we are humble, and if we are open, the spirit of the God is working among us and within us and with us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think it's been a, a, a great series of passages, but they're really quite challenging. And the more I've read about them, the more it's scared the pants off me for preaching next week. <laughs> so, you know, whoever's whoever's listening, I, I wish them every blessing as they mm. draw all these threads. Mm. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the, the way you started with glory, fear, and then honesty, humility, and then pitching this transfiguration experiences into the realities of our times, is a great take home for all of us as listeners who are listening to this week's podcast. Uh, so oh, it will yeah. fit in with the Sam as well, you know, this because yeah. the Sam talks about trembling and fear and mm. also talks about God um, being a forgiving God, but also mm. being an avenging God. So there's the tension again. So we come mm. back to that again. Yeah. And also the Sam is saying in 99, like he's God is a lover of justice and mm. God establishes equity. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So All great we... inspiring stuff that challenges us to think about whether we're hiding behind our faith instead of letting it propel us out there into the world. Mm. Yeah. So to all our listeners who are listening, I just want to uh, say a big thank you from all of you to Susan for challenging us and for encouraging us this week uh, with, her, with her thoughts. Uh, Susan, I mean, you have shared... The context you have shared about the biblical reflection. If there are, if there is any three words that people want to catch up for this week, I mean, in terms of their preaching aids, mm. three words: fear, trembling, and hope. Okay, fear, <laughs> trembling, and hope. So, in the context of fear, when we tremble, there is hope in the God whom we believe, and I Absolutely. think, we, and the, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to be such channels of offering hope uh, in, in our times today as churches. Uh, Susan, each week uh, we, have, we, we, we get some questions for pe from people around. And this week I have Matt on Facebook who is asking us, in Exodus only Moses could contemplate the Lord's glory with an unveiled face. But Paul states that through Jesus, this veil is symbolically removed and all are free to commune with God. How does this change affect our understanding of politics, if at all? Well, yeah, I think we blethered through that quite quite well. Um, you know, yeah, it's about getting out there, isn't it? It's about and, and about the visibility of our faith that propels us to do more than just worship God. The worship of God is important, but it, it underpins the action that needs to follow from worship. Um, and, you know, unless people see God in us, they don't get where, you know, what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. Which maybe they don't need to get, but, you know, yeah. we still we still need to, to work at the reflecting God's glory. Mm. And how will that change the understanding of politics? I suppose it makes it, 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 it makes the politics that we do not 
party political, which is you know a no. given anyway, um, it means it is it, politics is pursued as a calling from Christ in a way of following his example and and doing as he did, basically. Mm. So Which is an upside down way of looking at things. If you look back to last week's reading, mm. um, you know, from Luke's gospel, uh, you know, it, it's about doing things the wrong way up. Yeah. So and that's an I, enormous challenge to all of us. It is, it is, it is indeed. And all you're saying is please get busy with Jesus's kinds of politics, kind of politics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Loving your enemy, I mean, being angry at the unjust systems and try to make a difference. Absolutely. And, you know, loving without counting the cost, without expecting return, you know, um, mm. loving generously. That was last week's key words. And, yeah. you know, that fits in with this as well. So. Mm. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Susan, for coming on and sharing your wisdom and reflections with us today. Those three words, fear, uh, tremble and hope, will, will journey with me and I'm sure with most of our listeners during this week. And thanks to the rest of you for joining us to ask whether or how we should preach politics in pulpit this week. Uh, if you have enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share this episode with your friends. We know that our listeners are passionate and knowledgeable people and please keep sending your questions because we are trying to build a community of mutual learning and encouragement. So the best place for these conversations to move on is on Twitter at, at pulpit, pulpit underscore politics using the hashtag politics in the pulpit on our Facebook community, which you can access through the Joint Public Issues team's Facebook page and their website jointpublicissues.org.uk. Every week, I, I leave people with a question, Susan. So this week, my question for all our listeners is, imagining if you are part of the three disciples, you are the fourth disciple on the mountain of transfiguration, what would be your response? Would you join with Peter? Or if you are asked by Jesus to come down, where would you want to pitch your tent and participate in the healing of the world today? So all I'm asking my question to all our listeners, imagining you were the fourth disciple on the mountain of transfiguration. Would you echo what Peter is saying? Would you say something different? Or how will you pitch your tent when you come down the mountain and work for the healing of the community in a place where you are? So let us know your thoughts and your answers either on Twitter or on Facebook. So before we end, uh, our listeners, again, might be interested. We have been saying this about the Joint Public Issues Team's 2022 conference coming up in June on the theme from the ground up, Unearthed Hope and Seeking Justice. The, the speakers have been announced and it's getting interesting. So please, if you haven't booked your tickets, please book your ticket for this conference on the 11th of June. It's available both online and on-site. Uh, so I, I'm pretty sure it is going to be a massive challenging one. So please do join in this conference if you are able to. Uh, thanking once again, Susan, for this time. So let's go into both our politics and our pulpits with a word of prayer. Let us pray. God in Jesus, we thank you for inviting us, Lord, not just to stay on the mountaintop experiences, but inviting us to journey with you down the mountain participating in healing and transforming our communities. Help us to celebrate freedom 
help us to know in situations of fear and tremble you are always with us lead us and guide us transform our hearts transform our churches and transform our society in jesus name we pray amen amen thank you susan thank you raj for having me